Welcome to the Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Hey everybody, this is Reporter, the podcast that delves into the minds and lives of broadcast news reporters and anchors, delivering a behind-the-scenes look at their careers, their methods, their best practices, and some personal stories from the trenches of journalism. Today we have one of my former co-workers, a really cool guest, Bofta Yamam. Bofta, thanks for taking the time to join me. Thank you, Bo. Awesome to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Very thrilled to have you um, on the Reporter podcast today. Um, and this is awesome because we um, will have the chance to catch up. And we worked at WTAE TV in Pittsburgh, uh, the ABC affiliate together um, from April 2015 uh, through February 2018, to be exact. Not that anybody's counting the, uh, the month there. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we had some great times and Bofta and I actually sat next to each other in like the, the world's, I think, smallest office. That, <laughs> it's that pretty was. small. Pretty small. <laughs> yes. Um, me, you and, and Paul Van Osdall in, in the uh, investigative reporting office whenever I first started at uh, Channel 4 in Pittsburgh. But, um, but yeah, we have a lot of catching up to do. So um, first off, for people who aren't maybe aren't familiar with your news background, can you just give a very brief overview of, um, say, like, you know, almost like reading through your resume um, of, like, where you went to college, you know, your first reporting job and, and you know, kind of your, your stops across the country leading up to where you are now? Sure, sure. Wow. Let me go back. <laughs> Let me think back. So I graduated from the University of Maryland and I was a bit of, still am, a free spirit. And I said that after I graduated, I wanted to travel. And so I wanted to go to Ethiopia, which is where both my parents were born and raised. I'm a first generation American. And so I wanted to go there for several months. So I was very happy. I made that decision. I traveled. I did all the things that I wanted to do. I even did a mini documentary there. Mind you, I had not worked yet, but I was pulled a photographer together and we worked on a project in the Southern region. So it was a lot of good times, a lot of fun. I went there and really enjoyed family time too. So it was all in all, a great experience. But coming back from that, to your question, I was then applying for jobs, competing with people who had just graduated. Now I was a bit delayed. So I was working odd-end jobs and applied to more than 100 TV stations. And back then, I'm dating myself, you had to take the VHS, go to the post office and physically (laughs) deliver it. So imagine doing that more than 100 times. I think anyone, it would get to your mindset a bit, right? And get a little bit discouraged sometimes because it just takes so much tenacity. And I really wasn't hearing much feedback. And so at that point, I decided to do another internship. And I drove two hours south to WHSB. I think it was Harrisburg, Harrisonburg, Virginia. And in that internship, I met a woman who um, actually, actually, Bo, I thought I was going to get the job there. And I was like, great, it's close to home. This will be easy because, you know, you don't make much when you start. So you can be a little bit closer to home. it, It makes life a little bit easier. And so I thought, well, I'm not going to get the job here because the news director left about a month or so into my internship. So I was interning for free. I was renting an apartment down there. I was doing all of these things. And I thought my in just left, you know, so I was Mm -hmm. dejected because I thought that this news director, you know, I was commuting now two hours and renting an apartment. I thought, oh, he's going to hire me. It didn't happen that way. But there was a woman there. Uh, who connected me with her old boss. And she said, would you move to Dalton, Georgia? And her name is Melanie. So Melanie said, would you move to Dalton, Georgia? She was the anchor at WHSV. And 
I said, sure, yeah, I'd move there. And so I got the job in Dalton several months later after telling the news director there actually that I was going to be in town visiting friends. I wasn't. <laughs> I went there and drove from Atlanta to Dalton, which is about two hours, and just said I was in town in Atlanta visiting friends. So I would be on the top of his list when there was an opening because there wasn't an opening. Several months later, I got the job, drove, took my Honda, packed it up, drove down there, bought my Walmart furniture. And that was really the start. I worked at that independent station and from there went to Macon, Georgia. And this is the fast version of my story. Yeah. Then went to Macon, Georgia about a year and a half later, which was the CBS affiliate there. Then to Memphis, Tennessee. And then to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where we met both. So I was a typical nomadic reporter, you know, traveling the country, working at different affiliates, did some really great stories, different fun things, um, met great people. You know, all of those life experiences wasn't easy, uh, but it was definitely worth it. And I think it just made me who I am, you know. Um, and then in, in 2018, well, so first of all, in Memphis, I know you won a Edward R. Murrow award for your reporting. Is that right? So I won an Emmy in Memphis. I won an Edward R. Murrow in Macon, Georgia. Ah, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. And so, um, you know, both different, one was breaking news, the Edward R. Murrow, and then the other one was more of a long form. And that's what I think I realized in Memphis, really in Macon, I realized that I really liked long form reporting. You know, I liked those in-depth um, stories where you could get a little bit more into the details of things and why things are the way they are and what really was the roadblock for someone to get through something. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that's where maybe I was encouraged or pushed in that direction, but I just found myself being, um, I, I guess really what happened is looking back again, this interview is making me think back is that I was the police beat reporter in Macon and they wanted stories all the time. And so that really meant that I had to find stories creatively and tap into resources and into sources and all those different things and documents and asking for different letters and, you know, all those different things that are required as part of more investigative. And that's really where I, I got that pull toward investigative really was back then. Right. And then as I know, um, but the audience might not know when you were in Pittsburgh, you were hired as a full-time investigative reporter. Right. Right. So when I was in Memphis, I was general assignment, which for anyone who's listening, you know, that really means that it's a story of the day. And so when I was in Memphis, I was still doing some of those long form stories, but it wasn't per se the title I had. So uh, it was still here and there, right? And so when I left Memphis, one of the things I wanted to do was actually be in an investigative unit. And so it was intentional for me to apply to stations that were looking for investigative reporters. And that worked out, obviously, you know, in, in Pittsburgh, uh, having that opportunity for, for several years. Um, so then in, in February, of, so the beginning really of 2018, you moved, you left uh, Channel 4 in Pittsburgh, the ABC affiliate, and moved basically back um, towards your neck of the woods where you grew mm -hmm. up, the uh, DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Sorry, or, or, or maybe you're from Maryland. Absolutely. Proper. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yes, but that's totally fine. We just refer to it as the DMV. Yeah. <laughs> it's to, fine. The, to the DMV area, um, East Coast and 
Um, what, ha you know, and, and honestly that, you know, you, you and I saw each other almost every day at channel four. And then since then, mm -hmm. you know, naturally have, have lost touch a bit given, you know, distance and everything, but, um, what, you know, catch people up or at least me up on, on what happened professionally once you left, uh, channel four. Right. So there were a couple of things leading up to it. So one, I found out that my father had cancer several months prior to my contract being up. And I found out that he was terminal the month my contract was up to be resigned. And my partner, my now fiance, was also in the same state as where my dad was. So, you know, all things universe-wise, if anyone believes in woo-woo, I just felt that pull to return back to my home state. And it was a decision that I thought about a lot. Um, you know, they had asked me to resign. And I just felt at that point, because I, I had resigned about a year and a half prior to that. So I'd now been at WTAE for about four years or so. And so it was a mixture of that going on personally. And then I just felt a tug to want to do something entrepreneurial, you know, and I couldn't eliminate that tug any longer. That was, I call it the tug because it was just in your gut. And I had been doing a few workshops. And really just seeing if it was something that people would be interested in, everything from storytelling and crafting your story as an entrepreneur and speaking. And so for me, at that point, February 2018, when we found out my dad was terminal, you know, TAE was great because there wasn't that much time on my contract. And I had asked if there was any way that I could leave within the next, you know, as, as soon as possible, because now time was ticking. I think we had less than three months potentially with my dad. And so they were able to work it out. Um, we looked at my contract, how much vacation time, all that good stuff, you know, and they were really gracious about it. And so I did, you know, I left on a great note. Um, I really respect the management there. And from that point, I trying to really look at the timeline from that point, you know, a few months later, my dad passed, I was able to help care for him in a hospice, which I was really felt grateful to be able to do that. And um, it's something that I don't look back on with regret at all. You know, some people say it's a sacrifice. I don't see it as a sacrifice. I just saw it as something that I wanted to do. And from there, I went full time into coaching and speaking. And it was something that I felt called to do. And I said, if freelance, freelance opportunities come up, great. And within the next year, I started working for, you know, one national outlet and then another one and freelancing um, out of the Maryland, D.C. area. So still dipping my toe into journalism, but full time as a speaker and entrepreneur, helping other entrepreneurs with crafting their story and being more visible and landing speaking engagements and really ultimately working on confidence so that they can play bigger. Well, first off, you know, um, extremely sorry about the, the the loss of your dad, and and that you know must have been just been an incredibly trying time for you um, back then, juggling the professional and having so much personal going on back at home. Um, and um, you know, it's actually kind of amazing from afar, um, you know, how much you've thrived um, since you know then, which was a obviously a, probably one of the toughest moments of your life. But yeah, you know, even it, was, even, it was. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah, hard. I, he, he, <laughs> the hardest, yeah. And uh, but you know, I've I've seen you know followed some of your stuff um, on Instagram and whatnot, and yeah, I mean, it really it's really been impressive to see 
everything you've juggled and, and, and been successful with. And, and it also, I think it's really cool that you were able to, like you said, um, have a little bit of the best of both worlds. So, you know, have that mm-hmm. entrepreneurial uh, situation and career, but then also maintain your ties to journalism and, and even on the national level. So currently you're freelancing for CBS News. Yes. And I've also done some work with Cox as well. Um, So, you know, I freelance and like many freelancers, this is actually a market that I didn't realize is really, uh, really fantastic for freelancing. You know, of course, you have to do certain things to to um, to make sure that you you have the, the knowledge base, of course, and the experience within reporting. But most people have by the time they've come to a top 10 market. So it's actually worked out really well. And you're right, I do feel blessed that I've been able to have things work out. You know, I didn't really know what was going to happen. And, but it, it just is something where I felt like, wow, I could really speak and travel and I could share my own message and my own uh, personal thoughts on what it takes for excellence and grit and vision and all of those things that you mentioned. and. Yes, that was probably the hardest time of my life was when, you know, you're trying to get a, you're trying to, you're, you're leaving one job. I had to pack and move 260 miles back to my home state, new apartment, dad's in hospice, not quite sure how income's going to be coming in. <laughs> and then of course, after he passes, you're already in an emotional state and then having the fortitude and the grit and the tenacity to then go full force you know, with your business. But I can tell you that I do believe that hard work pays off. And even when my dad was in hospice, I was, you know, sending out emails while he was sleeping and doing some of the legwork because I knew that there was going to be a time when I wouldn't be in that same exact position. And I was trying to set myself up better. And so it was definitely uh, a ton of mindset work that was taking place at the time for me to continue doing that work while you know you're watching someone leave this earth it was hard you know it was really i can't even really put it into words um but i feel blessed that i'm able to help people entrepreneurs specifically with writing and with their story as part of my own skill set that i've cultivated so i do feel blessed in that manner that it's that it's all worked out and within six seven months of my dad passing I was in London speaking, I was in Miami speaking, so it all came together, you know, so I do believe the universe backs you up, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, kudos to you, it's huge, like you said, I mean, that's a, that's a great specific there in the story about how, you know, you were, you were still pumping out emails and just keeping your head up, because, you know, I mean, it's difficult, I don't blame anybody, mm-hmm. but it's difficult, because if you're going through something like that, you, you know, a lot of people just kind of curl up in a ball and just can't function. I mean, and it's okay if, you know, that happens to some extent, but, you know, at some point, um, it's, it's just very impressive if you're able to at least keep some, you know, finger on the pulse of, of career and just like keep it alive, you know, to the sense that when you do emerge, you know, once you've kind of grieved initially mm-hmm. that you're able to just, you know, pick things up and, and move on in terms of career wise. But that's like a lot easier said than done, I think for sure. Um, so it's it's very impressive that you were able to do that and, and good, good that, that 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 worked out because it's it's not something that everyone can do. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of striking to, to talk to you about this. It's obviously something very personal to you. So I appreciate you being willing to delve into this a little bit. And, it, you know, and it's again, it's, it's one of those things where 
you know, when you're younger, you don't realize how much, you know, personal can intersect with um, professional, but it inevitably does for most people at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I had started at channel four, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'd been in Connecticut before that working at the Fox affiliate. And, you know, when I met you in April of 2015, right. um, I was returning home at that point, you know, because my mother was terminally ill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely, um, you know, understand a little bit of, of what that, you know, what is similar to your situation to some extent. So it's a big challenge, but let me ask you this, you know, advice for people, cause I want people listening to this to have a hopefully a tangible takeaway. So if there are, you know, younger reporters out there, anchors, people in media journalism, who, um, sort of a two part question here, number one, you know, have a personal or family situation that's in a different geographical area. What, you know, what advice would you give them on that? And then the second part of the question is, um, if you, if, you know, if, if people in the media business kind of have that entrepreneurial itch like you had, and I know I've had it, uh, that's a separate question, but what advice would you give there? Mm, both really good questions. Are you a reporter? Just joking. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> well, the first thing I'll say is interesting. So when I was in Memphis, you know, my thirties, I, I gotta say, you know, my parents were going through a lot of health issues and in my, I think I was 30 or 31, my mom had cancer mm. and got cancer back to back. So it was very scary because it was stage three, four, it was, it was, it was tough because we weren't sure what was going to happen. And luckily I have siblings. So let me say that because I have a support network and I think that's different depending on your family dynamics. So I was really blessed that I have had siblings in the same state as my mother at the time. So that enabled me to have a little bit less of, um, I, didn't, I didn't have to be the only one, so to speak. So in that way, I think things were a bit different um, in that scenario, which was years ago. But I say it because when I was thinking of leaving Memphis, I said to myself, well, well, I at least would like to be in driving distance of my mom at the time. My dad was living in Ethiopia. So I wanted to at least be in driving distance. And that's the same advice I would give to anyone else, if, especially if your family member has a condition and you want to be closer, to get within that four-hour range so yeah. that you're not always flying. And then the reality is, is, especially if you're very early in your career, you're not making a lot of money. And so flying can be extremely costly. Again, depends on your family dynamics and background. And if you have the ability where somebody's maybe helping you, that might give you a bit of a cushion. But for me, being in driving distance was a lot better. Memphis has one of the most expensive airports in the country. So flying to Maryland was extremely expensive. I could have been flying to Mexico. So truly, you know, it made sense for me when I was planning on leaving to look for something within driving distance. I think Seattle had offered me or was interested even at that same time. And I remember Pittsburgh being, it was a similar position. And I remember thinking, oh, at least that's a little bit closer to home. Um, so, so that's something that I would give. Try to get yourself within driving distance if you can't get back to that same city. And I don't know if I was really ready to be back in the same city, um, nor I don't know if I had the skill set. I mean, now I think I, I did, but I didn't feel that confident then. So it also depends on how confident you feel about your reporting or anchoring skills at, at, the, at the stage you're at. Can you get to the big market? Do you have what you feel are the necessary skills? I still wanted to hone in 
on certain skills like writing and certain things that I felt like I wanted. Sometimes media markets are really good at that more than even the top markets. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to go to a good station that would continue to cultivate the, the writing piece. Um, and then your second question was if somebody has the entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a tough one. Um, you know, because I, I think it's like sometimes, you know, it's, it's you're someone who like loves journalism, but sometimes the, um, for journalists, that, that there's like similar skill sets that, that kind of cross over. Or maybe you've always, you know, had this desire to start your own business or test the waters. And I guess the question for a lot of journalists is like, or at least for me at times has been like, how do I, you know, navigate that? Do I give up all this equity that I've poured into journalism to right. take a chance? Or do I, you know, just stick to my guns and just stick 100% with journalism? Or do you kind of do half and half? I mean, I, th I think a lot of reporters might wonder about that. Yeah, I think it's, it's so personal. So let me say that. I think it's so personal because you're right. You know, if you, if you potentially leave it and you want to do it full time, you have to make a decision at some point. There's a crossroads if you feel like that tug is really there. My question is always, when I'm 90 years old and I look back and I have my rocking chair moment, will I be glad that I tried? It doesn't mean I'm married to my business or married to journalism. It's like, am I going to be okay that I decided to take a leap and try? And if I decide to return back to something or dive into something deeper, then I know that it was because of the choices I made and not because I felt like, okay, I've just been doing this for a long time. It just makes sense for me now that I'm good at it to keep doing it. And so that's why I say I think it's so personal because I think everyone's going to face that question at some point is, did I just try? And that doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy. I don't think it's an easy decision. I do think you need to weigh it out. I had been weighing it out by the time, you know, things came up for me. So one thing I would tell somebody, though, who's listening is that journalists, do, we do have really good skills, but we still need to learn other skills that help you if you're trying to be an entrepreneur like marketing and sales. So I do feel like if you are in a full-time position, you can still work on skills, do programs that help with specific skills in what you're trying to do next or what you're trying to do, you know, just period. So you can add on to what your assets already are rather than feeling like once you decide to leave, you know, now you've got to learn all of these crazy elements that you didn't realize you needed. So think about what you need that you don't have, which takes some self-awareness to say, I need to work on this if I'm trying to do a business or tap into this other thing. So I'm really big on skills. Just like great journalists, great anchors are really awesome writers. It's a, it's a craft that they've worked on and honed in on. And I think the same thing for entrepreneurs. Some have spent years just on marketing and messaging. Well, they've worked on that craft. Yeah, that is really good advice um, with some pretty actionable stuff there. So I really like that. And I love that mental framework of, you know, that um, rocking chair moment, you know, and, and, and using that as like a litmus test for decisions that you're going to make in life. That's really good. Um, and also, you're right. I mean, about about cultivating skills, because that's something that, you know, instead of uh, binge watching Tiger King, you know, you can take a <laughs> class online class in sales, you know, or in marketing or something. And you know, look, binge watching is okay to, to defuse some stress, you know, occasionally, but, um, you know, it's just the point is that, that, that you can do that without um, giving everything up, you know, all at once and, and kind of ease into something or make sure that your, uh, your parachute's on before you jump, um, so to mm -hmm. speak. So mm -hmm. great advice absolutely. there. Yeah, um, 
in brief, um, let's talk briefly about your, um, basically your, your, your entrepreneurial project, um, which seems to be going very well. Um, both to your mom speak and influence courses and unless I've butchered the, the title of it, but you're all um, good. You're all good. My friend, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, First off, is there a website for it that people could check it out? Or Yes. Um, well, they could do a couple of things. Um, you could go to story impact formula backslash course details, or you can, if you want to, if you're looking to speak more, for example, you can get my free 14 ways to land speaking engagements. And it's a, a PDF that you can just add to your computer and, and grab and, and just implement right away. And to get that, just text STORY2019 to 555-888, and you'll wait for the prompt, and then you can enter your email. And that will, that will give you not only my 14 ways to land speaking engagements, but also my power story formula. So you can access both of those you'll get within the next day or two um, after you opt in. So I would say that that's one thing. And then, of course, you can go to storyimpactformula.com backslash course details. I'm not sure if I butchered that earlier, but storyimpactformula.com backslash course details if you're looking to hop into my, into my course, which offers Great. you know live group coaching and helping you with your story, on-the-spot editing, and all kinds of cool stuff in there. So just depends on what someone is really trying to do. Um, and you can always find me on social media and just shoot me a message, of course. So without giving away, you know, the secret sauce or the, you know, the recipe, but um, how, how did you go from, you know, being a full-time reporter, you know, news anchor, news reporter, investigative reporter for basically your entire adult career to mm -hmm. then, you know, pivoting and, and launching your own business and, you know, generating revenue? Like, how were you able to do that? So part of it, a large part of it was that I invested in coaching myself before I ever left. And I learned skills that I felt that I needed in order to know how to generate revenue and support myself. So if I decided to take a freelance project on, great, but I didn't have to. If I wanted to travel and speak somewhere, I wouldn't have to wonder um, if I was giving up something elsewhere, you know, so really just creating my own, I think the drive of wanting to create my own life and freedom in that way and lifestyle, which doesn't mean it doesn't come with a ton of work, but that between the drive and then learning the skills is really how I was able to do it. So I do really believe in hiring a coach. I really do. Because I think that if you find the right one for whatever you're trying to do next, and everyone here might be listening, has tons of different ideas depending on what you're trying to do, you, you do need that accountability and you have to realize that there's a lot you may not know. And I think knowing that I just went for it all in and really went into pretty much studying, almost like you study for, you know, college courses or something. Like I really went into study mode and said how I'm going to learn about this. And here's the thing is that you have skills for a lifetime once you start to learn them. Sure, you have to tweak them and tune them, right? But once you really grasp skills and put it on repeat, what I love is that I could decide that I want to do something else, but I always have these skills. So I'm very content that I made that decision. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. You don't, you don't lose those as long as you, uh, you know, tune them along the way, like you said, um, mm -hmm. which, which definitely makes sense. Um, and so, I mean, is that something that you think that, uh, reporters across the country should be doing is, is trying to increase the number of 
you know, cause that's something that, uh, speaking slots, like, you know, whenever you uh, reporters will know that, you know, whenever you're at a TV station, oftentimes you are asked to, you know, give a, a talk for a nonprofit group and, and be the sure. MC. And that's usually, you know, included sort of just as part of your job. Exactly. So Meg, if you target your, uh, like your, your clientele, are it's really entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs, okay. Yeah, it's really okay. entrepreneurs, right. So reporters are under contracts. It's a, it's a different beast. But entrepreneurs, it's more of a visibility strategy, you know. And for me, speaking led to everything else. It was really helpful for me. But I will say anyone who's doing it, you know, it's great practice for you. It's great experience for you. And it's frankly, as a reporter, it's a great way to be out in the community. I mean, I made a lot of people just from speaking as a reporter. And I was just speaking just because I was asked to do it a lot. And once you're asked to do it, more people ask you. And I felt like it was something that I was good at and got to get, you know, pretty good at over time, right? So you cultivate it, but that gives you more confidence. All of those things happen. And so I think it's great if anyone's listening just to do it too. Just You just meet so many great people in the community and you, you ultimately, you know, great reporters are always talking to people consistently. And that's how you learn about what's really happening in people's homes and communities and are able to develop wonderful stories or stories that get to the root of things that are not so wonderful. Speaking, I think is powerful in any regard, but yes, I, I really work with entrepreneurs or those who want to be entrepreneurs and that's what it's, it's catered to. I also work with some one-on-one -on -one if they're looking to you know, really need a lot of the coaching skills and some of the other things that come with it and marketing skills and so forth. I would work one-to-one. -one. My course that I had mentioned earlier, the website, that really is uh, for someone who wants to focus more in on speaking and um, wants to be part of more of a group program. Is, is there a particular entrepreneur or um, public speaker who has, you would say, has had the biggest uh, influence on you or, you know, been a biggest role model or someone who you you know, love reading their books or watching their speeches or something to that effect? That's a good one. Um, you know, I browse through different ones. I don't stare at too many because I think then you can get into a pattern sometimes. Um, I can tell you ones that I, I feel uh, drawn to, which are some of the more old school types. Jim Rohn is great. Um, Les Brown has been around for a long time. Um, of course, you always have Michelle Obama and Oprah who hit the stage recently together, which was awesome. Those are some who I think stand out. But there are so many and there's so many more that are, that are you know, consistently expanding into the speaking arena as they see the, the power and the impact you can really have behind it. You know, I think people don't always recognize the impact either. You know, speaking to one person is one thing, but when you can speak to 500, your message and whatever you've gone through, I went through teenage depression, you know, for me, that became more important for me to talk about because I think we don't talk about it enough, especially in the minority community. So, you know, you really are able to have more impact. So when you, uh, you, you know, you left um, the, the local news field after a number of years um, mm -hmm. being in it in 2018, and so what was it like for you? Um, as someone who was used to being on the front lines, you know, covering the big story, obviously, probably if your career was anything like mine, covering a number of like tragedies and, you know, national news stories at some point or another. Um, and then, you know, kind of going from 60 to zero, so to speak, 
mm-hmm. you know, at least for a while with, with um, hanging up the microphone temporarily. I mean, was that difficult for you? And, and I bring that up because, you know, right now, like last year at this time, I, I would have been, you know, on the front lines of, of covering COVID-19. Right. And now, now I'm not, and it, it is a little strange, but I was just curious from your perspective, you know, what that's like. And obviously now you're, you're freelancing, but, um, you know, at least in that interim period, what was that like? It's a great question because I haven't thought about it, not at least lately, because it's been a while. So you're right. Lately, I've really, you know, as a freelancer, been at the White House or Capitol Hill, you know, so I've been on the front lines and some of those things, impeachment inquiry, some of those things. So when I think about that interim period where I wasn't doing it, I think it was a little bit different, more so probably schedule wise, because when you're doing your own thing, you really operate. Everyone thinks you're just free, but you actually have to be more disciplined than ever. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's one of the things that I had to really get a hold of um, is the schedule, is, is scheduling your time and scheduling your day because you still have to get certain things done. At the beginning, it is just you, so you really are doing everything, right? So um, I would say that that was probably the biggest thing for me was, was the scheduling. And then when I think of the, the stories and missing out on some of the stories, I think for me, I was in such a different world between running to the hospice and then trying to, do, trying to, to handle some business matters and then moving my apartment and you know, packing and all of those things that I think for a while I needed to actually decompress, you know, so I was probably in the right space where I didn't have to go physically into a job because I had gone through such a whirlwind in such a short amount of time that when that was done, I just needed time. I think it was a bit different than the average scenario where you just kind of, you know, maybe quit, you know, corporate or anchor reporter, and then you go into PR. But mine was just really different. So I probably needed that decompress time. And then with speaking, I travel quite a bit during the peak seasons, which is usually spring and fall for me. So I'm still on that go that not this quite the same, but I'm still on the go and I still have to deliver and I still have to prepare. So a lot of those, those fundamentals are still there. And I think you just made me realize that talking to you right now, but a lot of the fundamentals are, are there in that, in that way if that makes sense. Yeah. Is there a particular um, book that, that you love or that you've given away the most as, as a gift or that, you know, kind of changed your life at all or that you, uh, that you found to be most influential for you? Oh, yes. There's a bunch. Um, well, there's The One Thing, which is um, a really good book just about getting extraordinary results. Um, that's one that just comes to mind immediately. Right now, um, there's a lot of reporters across the country and anchors who are actually uh, doing something that people thought might not have been possible or that would have been kind of shunned or denied in the past. And that is that they're they're working from home, basically. And I've seen these photos in different um, reporting blogs and, you know, uh, Facebook groups and stuff where, uh, you know, you see anchors at home with like a ring light in front of them and, you know, a home broadcasting setup and basically what what is what are your thoughts on that i mean is that is that encouraging you to if if you've assuming you've seen some of the same images i've seen of of uh you know reporters and anchors who have kind of made that quick shift or you know stations mm-hmm. that have enabled that and allowed them to work from home i mean mm-hmm. do, you, do you think that that like shines a light a little bit on what the industry might look like in the future at all or 
you know, do you have any any thoughts at all on on how that transition has gone or you know what it might predict about the future so i do think it shows us what's possible people never thought they could produce a whole newscast from home and now we know it's definitely possible and it's happening on pretty much every level so i think that's what's been kind of cool to witness is just what's really capable with technology and I do think that it will eventually return to, quote unquote, the norm. But working from home is different than being, you know, as you know, seeing something happen and being able to describe it and, and bring the viewer into it. You know, whether it's um, a local event that's happening or a national event, it is different when you're on the scene. And I don't think we can even get around that. Right. right. But I do think what's cool to witness is just that wow, we have the capability of being able to do this if we need to. And I think that that's probably been the eye-opening part for everyone, for everyone. And um, as you know, newsrooms operate under sometimes the thinnest staffs and under um, crazy conditions. And um, I I just think it's a testament to the industry and how um, tenacious it can be in just figuring things out and creative and figuring things out. Innovative. Yeah, sure. Um, so I know that you've uh, you mentioned reporting from the White House. Um, I had the chance to do that when I during my years at WTAE randomly, where I was sent to cover the the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, like championship um, unveiling. You know, with the with like first President Obama and then President Trump the next year. But you've been covering some some actually uh, topics of more gravitas. You know, more more serious topics there at the White House on the lawn. And I guess my question for you is, um, you know, what was that like as a reporter who had done, you know, been in local news and then to kind of ascend um, to that, that national level? It's very different, I think, in some ways. And in other ways, it's still the same. You know, you're still looking to find the information and deliver it in a, in a way that's digestible because sometimes there's a lot going on all at once. You know, you have different press conferences that might be happening in one day. At a moment's notice, things can change, um, especially in the current climate we're in. So, you know, I think that it's an experience, right? A unique experience. And I give a lot of props to those who do it day in, day out, because it can be a grind, you know, especially because we have so many different things, even before COVID, you know, just so many different things happening. And so the folks who are doing it day in, day out, covering that beat, it's a lot. And, you know, you want to get the most accurate information out there and do it in a way where it's digestible and it's still interesting in a way where people understand it because there's so many different players and different moving parts in every situation almost. Um, But, you know, of course, you know, it's the White House and I never even thought that that might be me out there at the White House when I was starting out in Dalton, Georgia. So... For me, it was it's a it was really just uh, an opportunity that I think I'm just grateful to be able to have you know really started from scratch and been able to report from the White House and and continue to do so. So um, in that way, I feel really blessed that I've been able to to do multiple facets of journalism at different different locations around the yeah. country. Um, all right, so we'll uh, try to wrap up here in the next um, seven to ten minutes, and, and be respectful of uh, the time, the one-hour time slot that I promised. Um, not take up too much of your time, but um, 
So I like to kind of end these with um, rapid fire questions. We'll call them um, where. You oh know, boy. Yeah. You, uh, <laughs> well, not, nothing too, uh, you know, intimidating, but <laughs> Just um, where you have pretty, pretty uh, short and sweet answers uh, where possible. Um, and, and so it's kind of like a boom, bang, boom, you know, back and forth, but, um, cool. all right. So we'll just dive right into it. Um, so the first question I'll ask you rapid fire question is what purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months or in recent memory? Um, and if possible, give me like the specifics of like a brand or model or where you found it or. Easily, my computer charger, which I bought last week for $80 after my computer crashed. Ah, okay. Lifesaver, yes. And it was, so since we're on that, what type of computer are you devoted to? You have a laptop, or you use Apple, or what do, you, what do you use? I love Macs, and I have a MacBook Pro. All right. Um, how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? So a, a failure in your life or something that appeared to be a failure at the time, how can you think of any examples where that has actually set you up for later success? And it is possible that you've never failed at all at anything. I've definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely <laughs> failed. Um, wow, I'm just trying to think which direction to go in. But okay, rapid fire, I would have to say, you know, what looked like a failure in me applying for jobs, since we're on the topic of journalism, but what looked like a failure of me applying to jobs, you know, 100 plus applications and just going for it. And what looked like a failure of not doing it really set me up for success because when I was starting my own thing as an entrepreneur, I said, if I could do that and go through that period of time in my life for like a year or so where I was just working odd end jobs and trying to break into journalism, if I could do that, I was like, oh, I can do this. And so it really set me up for success mentally. It's a great answer. Um, all right, next rapid fire. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, so metaphorically speaking, you know, getting a message out to millions or billions of people, what would it say and why? And so this could be a few words, it could be a paragraph, um, it could be someone else's quote if you want. Um, just but what would you put on a billboard? Play bigger. This is your life. Ooh, that's good. And, and what, it, what does that mean to you? What it means to me is that I just think that oftentimes we just keep doing the same old thing because we got comfortable. And we don't actually think that we can play bigger, that we can dream bigger, that we can do things that maybe our parents didn't do or a cousin didn't do. And we feel like we can't do that thing that other people are doing. I think if everyone just said, if I could play bigger, what would that look like? You might choose something different. And it's not to say it won't be scary, but that's where this is your life comes in. Like at the end of the day, it's the 90 year old rocking chair moment. You know, you got to look back and this was your life. You decided subconscious or not that, that the decisions you made are yours and that you are in the position you're in because you chose to be in it. Wow. That is really good. I love that. Um, next one. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And this could be an investment of money, of time, of energy, et cetera. Two things that come to mind. I can't decide at the very moment. I've traveled a bunch just like you have, and I love to travel. And so for me, I've invested in traveling, right? So I've invested in going to different places. And I did that, you know, even before I got into journalism. So that would be one. And the other would be that I invested in coaching and people who were going to help elevate me or my mindset or my skill set into this 
elevated direction so that I could make the best decisions for myself. That's another, you're crushing this. That's another, I mean, I? they're subjective. They're subjective, but I mean, <laughs> that's another awesome answer where I'm like, Hey, that's a really good point. Yeah. And travel is like not typically viewed, you know, societally as an investment, mm-hmm. but it absolutely is in my opinion. And I, yeah, I, love, I love that it. answer. And um, I'm someone who also, you know, when I was a 22 year old uh, rookie reporter in Texas, you know, hired a coach who I came across and, and found that uh, incredibly valuable. I was like mailing him checks, you know, in the mail, but it was, <laughs> wasn't uh, it life changing though, in a way, yeah. like transformative, just the way you think about things, the way you operate. Yeah. Awesome. Good yeah. on you. 22 and doing it. Amazing. No, no, you got, you got to, you know, got to invest in yourself sometimes in life. So, um, but the question is, how do you do it? So those are some good answers. Sure. Um, all right. And as we get towards the close here, um, what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? And so just to buy you some time here while you're racking your brain, um, I guess I'll give my answer was that like okay. an unusual habit I have is that I'm like a shoe collector. Like I'm like a shoe head. I have like a hundred pairs of shoes, like mostly like old school Nike and like Air Jordan basketball shoes from the eighties. But um, you know, which is like sometimes considered unusual by people know me or don't know me but um is there any unusual habit you have or an absurd thing that you just absolutely love i like to cut an avocado open put a little bit of salt and i just eat it raw okay that's good i like that i like that it's like not quite absurd but it's definitely like slightly interesting yeah Yeah. most people are like where's your salsa i'm like you know i don't really feel like (laughs) i need it i can i can just roll with it you know with that's good a little bit of a bit of the salt um so that might be, that's too absurd, but um, the other thing I do that is kind of interesting is sometimes I just stare at houses on Zillow. Sometimes I just like to look at houses. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's the type of answer. Yeah. I like what they're going to say that. I, was, I thought, okay, he might think I'm like off the rocker, but <laughs> I just like to look at um, different different homes on Zillow. I've been like that for years. I feel like I feel like a lot of us have that like secret have we don't really tell anybody about that but I, right. I feel like I've kind of done the same thing I'll be on like Redfin and Zillow and I'm like what am I doing I'm not buying these houses right right just, I just uh, I'm really looking at people's interior design I guess I don't know but it's it's fun it's like this this fun pastime so yes, yes. I enjoy it that's all I can say I enjoy it yes <laughs> cool um in the last five years what new belief behavior or habit has most improved your life? So the last five years, a new okay. belief, a new behavior, or a new habit that has, you would say, has most improved your life? Well, I've gone through a lot. <laughs> we went through this in interview in yeah. the past five years. So a lot of growth has happened. One is that a belief, I can definitely say, is that I really do believe that there's nothing in my way to do whatever it is I choose to do. So I really feel strongly that I can, if I put my wholehearted intention behind it and and actions and, you know, invest it in the proper way that I can figure things out. And I don't know if I always felt that confident. I don't know if I would have felt that confident even 10 years ago to say that. So Hmm. I feel very empowered in that way. So that's, that's definitely one. What was it? New beliefs? And what was the other part of it? Yeah, just a new a new belief, behavior, or habit that has okay. most improved your life. So yeah, that, that's a new belief. One habit that I do pretty good, not perfect, is at the end of each week I do a weekly reflection, and the weekly reflection is just you know what um, 
what were some wins, what things I did really well that week? What were some important things that happened that, you know, came through or, or, you know, maybe something that was, had been cultivated for a while, but something that went really well that, that week. So basically recognizing it and then what things do I, um, you know, need to correct? What are some lessons and corrections? And then what do I have to be grateful for? And so for me, I've just formed three, those three items and then maybe one more at the end of each week. So I'm just, you know, my Sunday with coffee or something. And I just think about the week because one of the ways we can avoid um, making the same mistake over and over is that we have to recognize and be aware of what it was. And so we can really save ourselves a lot of time, energy, money, all of that stuff by just understanding that we need to reflect and make an adjustment if necessary. Yeah, that is great advice. I, there's a lot of um, people who I find to be, you know, inspirational or successful or influential who really talk about the benefits of like journaling, which mm-hmm. sounds, you know, at yeah. face value sounds a little bit lame or like too time consuming, but they say it's just really, really helpful. So and, you know, and for people out there who don't know where to start, there's actually like books that they even sell where it's like my weekly journal and they, you know, there's prompts, you know, like today I'm grateful for blank today. I'm worried about blank. And just writing these things out is incredibly helpful. So they're not just bouncing around in your brain, you know, without a place to go. Exactly. Um, totally. You can, you can look back on them, you know, a year from now or six months from now. And, you know, it's a window into what you were dealing with then. So that's great advice. Um, all right. So let's kind of wrap up with um, some advice for uh, younger, you know, journalists. Um, what advice would you give to a smart, driven college student who is about to mm-hmm. enter the real world? Um, right now during this time of the, you know, COVID coronavirus pandemic. And they want to be on air? Yeah, they, they want to be an on-air journalist, like an on-air reporter or anchor. So my first thing would be actually to be humble. That would be number one, you know, know that you're about to be on a journey and this is the beginning of you just really understanding the landscape, networking, learning a ton. And the truth is you're going to make mistakes along the way you know, and hopefully you can get inside of a really good shop so that you can learn the fundamentals really well. Never underestimate that writing is, even if you're a top anchor, that writing is, is, is incredibly important. Um, and I don't mean, you know, just being able to write a headline, really understanding how a story is structured and crafted and what elements you need and look for. So that's kind of the the mindset, I think, is to, to be humble, but, you, you know, be eager that you want to learn and you want to be in a good shop. The other thing I would say is cast a wide net because finding something in your backyard can be tough sometimes. So I'm not saying you have to go to Georgia like I did, but you can cast the wide net so that you can at least see when you're applying if it makes, you know, if you're not getting any hits and you're applying all around the country, well, then you know you might need to change your tape you know, you need to get a different type of experience or maybe another internship. I'm not sure if you're just graduating, but you, you should know by this point if you've been getting any feelers, hopefully. Um, and the other thing I would say is to be flexible, you know, just be, be flexible and be open. And there's so many jobs in journalism that, you know, there are people who said I wanted to be on air, but then found that they really liked being a producer and calling the shots behind the scenes. So be flexible and be open. There's no there's nothing that says that you can't change your mind if you decide to be something else. You know, Bo, how many people have you met, you know, who started out one way and ended up being on air or vice versa? Yeah, I mean, so there's many. digital, 
Yeah, I think you, if you can fine tune your digital skills, that's always going to be helpful in this time. And you can sh cultivate and show people that you are able to do the digital world just as good as you can the more traditional world. I, I think that's a really big bonus. Wouldn't you agree, Bo? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a huge leg up right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially during now. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you could show somebody how creative you are covering COVID from home or something and you could yeah. do something creative. I think you have to be out of the box right now. You're, you know, anyone who's applying right now, of course, you're in the midst of, we're in a pandemic. So I would try to be creative uh, with that in mind. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Um, you know, and like you said, um, you know, you said right after you graduated, you went to Ethiopia and you said you had a photographer with you or you're you you know basically, no, I basically recruited no. one on the ground there yeah I mean you, you were you were putting together some pieces there right yeah yeah and looking back they weren't very good but I did put together some pieces for uh, a nonprofit that was there but it was a great experience you know but it was that conviction right that I'm just going to do this no matter where I am so I think I just had that fighter spirit in a way and um that's what I think you need that some people call it chutzpah, right? You know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you, you know, if somebody was, let's say international right now, I would say the same thing, you know, what can you do from where you're at right now? Because we're in COVID-19, what can you do that would tell a story from your home, right? Or through your window or something creative, um, because you really can tell stories anywhere. A good journalist can, right? So, yeah, no, absolutely. I was just going to say, I mean, yeah. you know, I, when I was like younger, I read um, Anderson Cooper's kind of like autobiography um, mm. called Dispatches from the Edge, where he like after, granted, he had a pretty good leg up just, you know, the family he came from, but he, um, mm -hmm. you know, didn't just like go straight to CBS News or ABC News. He initially, um, you know, took a camera and, and went um, he was in like Somalia and like, and then you know, Vietnam and, and, and like just went to some pretty, um, different places and, uh, did some reporting essentially on his own. Um, and then kind of shopped that to, I think it was like New York one or something. And, um, but it just reminds me of like, I, there's, there used to be this saying that I heard and it was like in, in, in the Chinese language, like the, the, the crisis and opportunity are the same word or something. Mm. And, I, and I've looked that up and I, apparently that's not actually true. <laughs> but I've always liked it. It, it. It's it's an interesting statement, though, even if it's not exactly true, because in so many times, you know, Christ in crisis can lie an opportunity. And so, to your point, yes, I mean, if you could, if you could do some sort of storytelling, you know, from your neighborhood, if you're in college, or you know, from home or whatever, um, I think that's a, a great opportunity to show creativity, to showcase it. So um, I think there's a saying like desperation leads to innovation or something like that. So mm -hmm. I think you're right. There's, you know, if, if you can find that creative edge to, you know, obviously you can't just travel to Africa right now. Right. But, you know, and do something like Anderson Cooper did, but you know, you can do things within your own backyard a lot more easily probably. So, yeah. And I, and we're in a different time, you know, I think, I don't know if when you started Bo, but I was a one man band my first three, four years. Yeah, and I was so, too. Yeah, the just the ability to shoot, edit, write is so important. And when I left One Man Bating, it wasn't because I didn't like shooting. It's because I wanted to hone in on writing. And you, it's hard to do that if you're doing everything in your jack of all trades. And so the person out there right now who's just starting, you, you have to be marketable, right? You have to be able to shoot and edit and write. So I would say if you're not 
there yet, what can you do right now to get better at those, those elements? Because now there's so many, you know, even editing programs that even you know of, Bo, that would help somebody who's truly starting out from scratch. So I think news stations are looking for creativity and for someone who's going to understand the basics of the fundamentals and be able to implement the fundamentals of news integrity and journalism ethics, but also be able to have a creative eye. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, hey, thanks so much for taking the time out of your um, busy days to, um, to do this today. And, um, and also thanks to you, uh, you know, an overdue thanks, but um, you were incredibly welcoming to me back when I um, first started the Channel 4 in, uh, way back in 2015. So thanks for that and uh, incredibly friendly and welcoming to me um, back in that investigative office that they, uh, they had sat me in. So um, very appreciative of that. So I look forward to, to following your, your journey um, on social media, you know, over the next uh, years to come. And, and uh, hopefully we'll cross paths at some point sooner rather than later um, in oh, person really? once it's safe to, to do so. It's a, it's a crazy time right now. But yes, thank you so much for, uh, for everything. You're so welcome. And thank you for having me on. You are welcome as well. All right, Bofta, your mom. Um, and uh, oh yeah, one last thing, Bofta. If people do want to uh, follow you on social media, what's what's the best place for them to do that? So my name is Bofta, your mom, B-O-F-T-A-Y-I-M-A-M, like mother at the end. And I'm on Instagram. That's probably the best place or LinkedIn. I'd love for you to message me and say that you listen to Bo's, you know, of course, podcast and that lets me know too that there were some nuggets that you were able to maybe walk away with that were helpful to you. So yeah, LinkedIn and Instagram Instagram are probably best or of course Facebook. Great. And what's your what's your handle on Instagram? It's my name. All of them are my name. Both okay. to you mom. Just because there's only one both to you mom apparently in the world. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just stuck with it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one and only. That makes it easy too for people. Okay. All right. Well have a great night. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Reporter Podcast with Bo Berman. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.